0: You smell that?
1: What, the tears of our fellow Capitol Hill reporters seven weeks into the session?
0: No, well, yes, but I think it's just the inversion. And maybe that's why they're crying. Oh
1: yeah, you're right. The Salt Lake Valley's infamous brown cloud. You know, sometimes it gets so bad, I can taste it.
0: You mean you don't like to chew the air? I'm Sage Miller.
1: And I'm Sean Higgins. This week on State Street, we're talking air quality. Anyone who's spent a winter in the Salt Lake area probably knows exactly what we're talking about. Depending on the weather, every few weeks you'll see this hazy cloud hanging over the valley. The air quality index skyrockets, and restrictions are placed on burning anything outside. People are also encouraged to take public transit or just not go outside at all.
0: Coming up, we'll hear from the people this bad air affects the most. And we'll look at one bill in particular from Democratic Representative Andrew Stoddard. It aims to study how bad these emissions actually are and hopefully identify a thing or two we can do about it.
1: And it looks to be getting some bipartisan support. You're listening to State Street.
0: Air quality is not great in Utah. Sean, can you give a quick science lesson on why that is?
1: Sure can. Some of it is due to our unique geography. First off, an inversion is a meteorological phenomenon when warm air traps cold air beneath it. That warm air kind of acts like a big lid. And if you're in a valley, like the Salt Lake Valley... The mountains create a bowl. The cold air just sits between the Wasatch Mountains to the east and the Ochre Mountains to the west until enough wind comes along to blow it through.
0: So the wind comes through, blows off the lid, and we can all breathe again. No more brown cloud. Inversions can be seen all over the world, but what makes our valley inversion so special is what gets trapped in the air. It's a lot of
1: gross stuff, smoke, Car exhaust and anything else that gets thrown into the air gets stuck and contributes to the problem. And fun fact, Tehran's mountains do something very similar. Well, not so fun for the Tehranis.
0: And not so fun for the people on Salt Lake's west side. That area has a lot of polluting industries. Lots of residents also live next to the freeway where they're breathing in all those car emissions.
1: The west side already has the worst asthma burdens in Utah, not to mention the elevated risks of serious health conditions and lower life expectancy compared to the east bench of the valley.
0: And a joint project between KUER and the Salt Lake Tribune wants to amplify the complex relationship Westsiders have with Utah's air quality. Reaching for Air is a collaboration with the Salt Lake Tribune's Westside reporter Alex Alcabrera and myself. We're gathering Westside narratives on pollution and attaching them to an air quality map. There's a lot of air quality maps out there, but none of them tell the stories of those impacted.
1: Here is Rose Park residents Tegan Spangard and Dallin Brown talking about their experiences with the air.
2: We have lived in Rose Park since 2019. I was outside and I could see over um, to the refineries, which I have a very clear view of from my house. And one of the refineries was blowing off thick black smoke Mm -hmm. all the way up into the air and it was just dissipating everywhere. And I was outside and I could taste it in my mouth.
3: Refineries blow constant pollutants into the air. There's a rock quarry just north of us that's constantly blowing dust into the air and it's absolutely frustrating seeing all these pollutants come into our neighborhood and knowing that there's no leadership that's going to do anything about it. It's really upsetting.
2: I definitely feel like on bad air days where I live, I feel, especially in the winter with the inversion, more um, sinus congestion. I get every year a air infection from bad air quality and it sucks.
3: (laughs) I literally have to leave the valley to go get quality air and make sure my lungs are safe.
2: This is what is going to cause cancer in me potentially in 20 years is really scary.
3: It's hard to think about investing in the neighborhood and investing our lives in the neighborhood knowing that our leaders in the city don't really take our health
2: seriously. We want to start a family and we we are scared to start one here because of the pollution. And I'm scared to um, be pregnant and have my child exposed to whatever I'm breathing in. I'm scared to have a baby and have them breathing in all this air pollution. And I I feel like that is a big barrier to me staying here and a huge consideration of what my future is going to look like because I just don't feel like in good conscience I can raise a family in, in this neighborhood because of the air pollution.
0: That was Tegan Spangard and Dallin Brown, and this is just a sneak peek of the West Side Stories you'll hear from the Reaching for Air project. The state has been slow to clamp down on regulating things like vehicle emissions and emissions from the oil, gas, and mining industries. Though Utah has shown it's capable of improving its air quality, as found in a 2020 EPA report.
1: In recent years, there have been efforts to install air quality monitors on buses and create air quality action days. But we've seen little in the way of actual state laws that address Utah's bad air.
0: Coming up after the break, we'll hear about one bill this session that has been trying to address the air, but it's gone through several different versions. You're listening to State Street.
3: Support for State Street comes from the Hinckley Report podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about the biggest political headlines in the Beehive State. Find new episodes of PBS Utah's The Hinckley Report every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Welcome back to State Street. I'm Sean Higgins.
0: And I'm Sage Miller. One piece of legislation that's aimed directly at cleaning up Utah's air is from Democratic Representative Andrew Stoddard of Sandy. He has a bill titled Emissions Reduction Amendments.
1: The bill was introduced a couple of weeks ago and looked very different than it does now. Originally, it would have slashed emissions along the Wasatch Front 50 percent by 2030. It included vehicle emission regulations, incentives for buying more eco-friendly cars, and a ban on wood-burning stoves.
0: Stoddard said he just wanted to shoot a shot with the bill and see what Republicans in the legislature would be interested in. Then something else happened.
1: At the end of January, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration published a study that had some pretty eye-opening findings. As much as 25 percent of the smog seen in the Salt Lake Valley could be from one source, U.S. magnesium.
0: Sean, guess where U.S. magnesium is located?
1: Is it on the west side of the Salt Lake Valley?
0: Ding, ding, ding! Bromine emissions were a key finding in the study, too. Bromine is the element that's naturally occurring and is commonly used in things like swimming pools and sanitary products. But it's also a byproduct of the magnesium refining process. Turns out, although not really harmful on its own, the way bromine reacts with other things in the air makes smog worse.
1: Stoddard saw his opening and pivoted the bill to focus exclusively on regulating bromine emissions. But it hasn't exactly been smooth sailing.
0: The bill was further slashed in committee last week and took out any emission goals or requirements. But a study attached to the bill was expanded to include all halogen elements.
1: In addition to bromine, that group of elements also includes things like chlorine and iodine. Chlorine is heavily regulated by the Environmental Protection Agency. Bromine, not so much. I was at that committee hearing and I got to tell you, I thought the bill was sunk for a little while when Republicans were having their way with it. But Stoddard has the support of a prominent Republican, Senate Assistant Majority Whip Kirk Cullimore. I caught up with Stoddard after the hearing. This was last Wednesday, by the way, when it was dumping snow. And he told me how that all went down.
4: Well, first it was tasked to get up here with the snowstorm. So thankfully we had a bunch of committee members that just stay in Salt Lake during the week. So we had enough committee members to actually do anything. I had previously talked to all the committee members on this bill and knew there was some concerns. And then uh, last night I got a call from one of the committee members saying that there were some lobbyists trying to kill it. I didn't hear from the lobbyists, but uh, apparently mining and gas industries were having issues with it. So came into the committee not really knowing what to expect. And uh, that's how it started.
1: This bill started out as something very different. You said you wanted to shoot your shot. You really went for the moon, swung for the fences with this one. How did we get to where we are now with with the current language?
4: Yeah, so the original bill was essentially just a wish list. If I could decrease air quality, here's what we would need to do. And I am very aware of the political realities of it, knew that it wouldn't go through as is. So my goal was to pick and choose a couple of things that would likely go through. Uh, Then, what was it, January 25th, the study about bromine and U.S. magnesium came out, and I just knew that was it. Like, if we can target something that is causing up to a quarter of our inversions with one piece of legislation, let's do it. Why specifically target bromine emissions? What is so unique about this element? Yeah, so in and of itself, it's not a huge part of the emissions. I think they testified today that it's like three parts per billion. Like, it's really small, and uh, it's not incredibly toxic on its own, but there's something about the landscape here that it interacts with other chemicals and particulates to create just a huge amount of PM 2.5. So what the the previous study says is that it's anywhere between 10 to 25% of the cause of our inversions. So there's not much of it, but it's really causing a lot of damage with our air quality.
1: What do you hope this study on bromine accomplishes?
4: I hope it just shores up what the previous study has shown is that this chemical is just a huge problem for our inversions and that if we can control it largely being controlling one company that it can have a huge quality on the impact of our air quality how are you feeling about where things stand right now are you worried it's going to get stripped even further i don't know if you can strip it any further um so as is now it's just the study portion of it um you know it's something and if this is what we need to do to get the data to make more meaningful change and actually get some progress, that's great. Uh, this study that it's based on is obviously a smaller scale, so opening it up to include all halogens and be a little bit more in-depth study is great. I'm, I'm very supportive of that. I would have loved it to go further. I mean, you can tell from my original bill that I'd love it to go all the way, but um, I'm good with where
1: it's at. Can you go into a little bit more detail about some of the concerns you were hearing from, from people on the committee, as well as some of these lobbyists that did get involved?
4: Uh, I wish I could say what the lobbyists were thinking, but they didn't reach out to me and, uh, that was kind of shocking to me because usually they will reach out uh, and say, Hey, we're opposing your bill. Here's why. But there was no attempt made by them to try to contact me to work on anything. So that was a little shocking. I think some of the concerns were just about regulation. This study is really recent. You know, we've got some smart people on that committee who understand the science of it, um, but I think even they were a little hesitant to jump into regulating it without more data. So I think that was the concern. I did find it kind of ironic that there was some comments in committee about, you know, well, if the federal government's not regulating this, why should we jump in? And I've you know, never heard that approach from people up here of wanting to follow the federal government's lead. So talking with some
1: other stakeholders the pro-environment stakeholders who are involved in this they seemed a little unhappy at how much it was stripped down how do you strike a balance between both sides on this to actually get something through the legislature
4: it's hard you know and i'm so used to having bills get killed and bills get stripped that for me this is just this is part of the process you know uh we can take a big swing but we're a super minority, and sometimes we'll get it, most times we won't. And so let's take it. It's a baby step, but we're going in the right direction.
1: Going forward, this was just the first of many hurdles that your bill needs to, to cross. Are you optimistic things will one, make it out of the House, but two, get through the Senate as well into Governor Cox's desk?
4: Uh, it came out with a unanimous recommendation from committee this morning, and that is obviously a huge help. You know, obviously, we're, you know, as a Democrat, I've got 14 people who will back me up on this, but, you know, I need a lot more. And so hopefully having all those people who are pretty influential in that sphere have said yes once that they can convince people to vote for it again. Uh, Senator Cullimore on board with it. He loves the bill. And uh, obviously, he's in a position of power in the Senate, and I'm hoping he can get it through there. And he seems optimistic. So I'm feeling good. What got Senator Colomar to sign on to this? I think he looked at the study, saw that the data was there, and really wanted to do something. You know, his district is just east of mine, a little bit south, um, but there's a lot of people there that care about air quality, and, you know, he's a longtime resident of the Salt Lake Valley, and, you know, I grew up just a couple years younger than him in the same area, and we both experienced inversions our whole life, and, you know, unfortunately, our bodies are going to pay the price at some point, so... How much weight does
1: that actually carry to have someone in leadership from the opposing party stand behind what you're trying to
4: do? I mean, it's huge. And I love the message it sends. And I think that's the whole point of the Clean Air Caucus is this is not a partisan issue. This is an everyone issue. This is a health issue. And to get someone in leadership is great because I think it shows leadership's thoughts on how much of an issue this really is.
1: Your bill seems to be one of the only things that specifically addresses air quality. There are some appropriations, I think, indirectly, free transit for a year, which Senator Weiler is sponsoring, would affect air quality, Uh, a couple of things related to electric vehicles. What are you watching?
4: Yeah, so obviously I'm very interested in all of those. Uh, I can't remember who said it at the Clean Air press conference. It may have been Senator Weiler, but basically said, we've been around for a decade and we've taken all the low-hanging fruit. It's time now to start picking off some of the bigger chunks. And hopefully that is by directly regulating the industries that are causing the inversions.
1: Representative Andrew Stoddard, thank you so much. Thank
4: you.
0: That was Democratic Representative Andrew Stoddard of Sandy. So Stoddard's bill is moving forward for now. After it was amended, the bill passed unanimously out of committee and it was passed unanimously out of the House on Friday. A big win for Dems if you ask me.
1: And we already knew Republican Kirk Cullimore supports the bill. But now he's also sponsoring it in the Senate. And as assistant whip, Cullimore will probably help fellow Republicans get on board with legislation.
0: But it does have two more hurdles in the legislature, though. The bill has to get past a Senate committee hearing and a Senate vote. But with some Republicans behind it, it stands a real chance of making its way to Governor Spencer Cox. And
1: the governor has said he's interested in air quality and would sign a bill if it came to his desk. It still has a long way to go before it becomes law, but Stoddard told me earlier in the session that his only non-negotiable would be to do nothing.
0: The Emissions Reduction Amendments Bill isn't the only thing on Capitol Hill that addresses air quality. There was an appropriations request to study what's exactly in the dust from the Great Salt Lake's dry lake bed. If the legislature approves it, more than 100,000 buckaroos goes towards getting all up in that dust. For science, of course.
1: There's also a bunch of budget requests for things like making EV charging stations more accessible. And my personal favorite, funding free public transit for a year. I do love my bus pass.
0: That's right. Republican Senator Todd Weiler is sponsoring that $25 million budget request.
1: He's coming at this from a pretty interesting angle. At the Clean Air Caucus press conference where he announced the plan, Weiler said he's making a development and growth argument to get funding for free transit.
0: Weiler's district covers the north part of Salt Lake City up to the Bountiful area. It's pretty narrow, with the mountains on one side and the lake on the other. I-215 and I-15 both run through it. Weiler said his district can't fit a third interstate, and more people need to ride the train.
1: The connection to air quality is pretty simple. Fewer cars on the road means fewer emissions and less smog clogging our air.
0: All things considered, the legislature is working with a pretty tight budget. Lawmakers made $3.2 billion in funding requests this year. Only $2 billion in extra revenue exists, though. But framing free transit as a growth issue could get more lawmakers on board. And a bill that would help make new buildings in Utah more energy efficient also passed out of committee. Less energy means fewer emissions.
1: Even with these smaller steps, the biggest impact would be through regulation. And that's something that would take a pretty big shift for the legislature to cozy up to. We're on the home stretch, Sage. One more week of the
0: legislative session. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited.
1: I'm personally looking forward to closing out of the ridiculous number of tabs I have open on my computer, that and not counting bill numbers in my sleep anymore.
0: Sean, I've literally had dreams about the session. I'm hoping those dreams will end in seven days because I can't say they're particularly relaxing. Even though the session is ending soon, we have a couple more episodes of State Street for you before we sign off for the season.
1: Next week, we'll recap all the top moments of the session.
0: And after the session ends, I'll have my head in the sky with Reaching for Air. That's the project I'm working on with the Salt Lake Tribune's Westside reporter, Alex El Cabrera. We're collecting 100 audio narratives from Westside residents about their experiences with air quality. If you have a story you'd like to share, give us a call at 385-419-2470. Or shoot me an email at smiller at kuer.org. We'll find a time to chat.
1: That does it for this episode of State Street. I'm Sean Higgins.
0: And I'm Sage Miller. The show's executive producer is Caroline Ballard. Editing and production support comes from KUER news director Elaine Clark and David Childs.
1: Our digital team includes Jim Hill, Raquel Davis, Eleanor Gomberg, and Renee Bright. Renee not only does all of our awesome episode art, but all the graphic design for KUER and PBS Utah.
0: Renee is a real gem and has great style. State Street is a production of KUER. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find State Street. See you next week.
1: Sean, I, the science guy. (laughs) Sean, 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 Sean.
3: (laughs) From KUER.